Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on the quest for martial tone. I grew up listening to my dad's blonde Fender Showman. It was big, loud, and clean. As my tone evolved, I started to like Vox too. Then, Mesa Boogie and Orange, soon enough, Matchless, Saldano, Dr. Z, and Bad Cat. Of course, I couldn't afford all this gear, so I went towards a more budget option, which was modeling gear. Of course, it only took a weekend in the studio with access to about a half a dozen desirable amplifiers before I started to realize that nothing compares to the real deal. One of my favorite amplifier manufacturers is Marshall, but the journey to get there took a while. But what is the Marshall sound? Is there a way to get the sound without actually having a Marshall? Which Marshall is the best? And what are the pros and cons? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. I am so excited to do this therapy session with you today because you are a big reason why I got into martial amplification. You and I are kindred spirits. You and I went on a quest. We went on a journey together to find the martial sound. And we went a lot of different routes. We tried a lot of different things. And ultimately, what, what got it for me was you let me borrow your martial and take it into the studio. And what I found was versatility, and what I found was mm. excellent tone, and what I found mm. was my sound. And, you know, I definitely thank you for that. I'm a little confused. You, uh, when you called me, you said you wanted to talk Marshall. I thought we were talking like famous Marshalls throughout history. So I was like ready for like Thorogood Marshall, <laughs> you know, Supreme Court Justice John Marshall, Penny Marshall, of course. Um, I, so it's going to be a little unprepared. I hope I. Well, it'll just have to go with it. Oh, um, yeah. Well, you know, maybe that could be another therapy session okay. another All right. time. Well, so I, so I apologize, yeah. but uh, we'll do what we do. So, <laughs> so as we talk about Jim Marshall, mm-hmm. Jim, he's Marshall, on my list. Okay, so he was a guy who actually was a business owner. He owned a music shop, a drum shop, and people enjoyed buying from him. You know, small town. Yeah buying small, all that kind of stuff. And so here he is, a a drum guy, and people went, but I want to buy other musical gear from you. So here is Pete Townsend saying, I need an amplifier because the bassman is not cutting it. Yeah. So what's interesting is that Pete Townsend had a sound in his head that he was looking for. Jim Marshall had a sound in his head that he was looking for, and they both came to what it was together. So my question to you is, what is the Marshall sound? Yeah, that's funny. You know, what you were saying about the Fender Basement was really all they had. Of course, they had the Vox that was around too in England and a couple other amps that I don't really know what the names of them are. But it really was about availability. As you said, Jim Marshall being the drummer, um, all the bands that he played with, and he had his little store, and everybody wanted American products. And so, you know, the Gibson 335... And they wanted the Fender Basemen and the or the the Vibraluxes that were out at that or Tremuluxes, mm-hmm. I think. And so it was him and a few other guys that were like, "We can just build our own, you know. We've got the parts, yeah. and you know it'd be a lot cheaper. These things are really expensive across the pond." 
And uh, so they did. They, they built an amp. So going back to what is the Marshall sound, what's funny about that is that the original Marshall sound was a Fender. You know, it sounded like a Fender. Yeah, it was Jim Marshall who ended up going with this guy named Dudley Craven to be able to make Marshall amplifiers. And they started making them. They basically were modified basements. Yeah. And it took like four or five runs before finally Jim and Pete Townsend all of a sudden went, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sound. Yeah. So, so I understand, you know, it's, it's simple to say that, well, it was a, it was a Fender basement, but it basically was with, with some tweaks. They did do a few things different with it early on. They called it the JTM 45 and it sold like hotcakes. Yeah. It became very popular. And uh, over the years, it changed a little bit to a little bit more of the, uh, you know, when I think of Marshall, that the sound, I think of that mid-range and that krang, you know, how do you mm. describe tone? Uh, but that's what I think from like the yeah. 70s, you know, the 70s classic rock bands and still like ACDC to this day, that's just, that's kind of it. And, uh, yeah. but originally it was, it was more of a scooped mid sound that the JTM 45s had that I yeah. really dig. I still do. So that's what I find interesting is you look at the evolution of the Marshall. And what I appreciate most, and I've already mentioned it, is that Marshall has always been about the player. What is the player's needs? And that's the reason why you look at like the 60s and you've got kind of more of that that basement platform. There's a mid-range to it, which is important, mm-hmm. but it's it's got some scooped mid type of sound to it. But then in the 70s, it became brighter and fizzier yeah. because you've got... You've got Jimi Hendrix, who is basically demanding more highs. He wants more of that that fizz. And then in the 80s, you get those JCM 800s, and they're like, well, we need more drive, and we need, we need a little less of the bright, and we need that, well, what ended up becoming a brown sound, yeah. which is that Van Halen sound yeah. that's been mentioned before. And then the 90s hit. And now all of a sudden the Marshall sound is getting brighter again, but it's more modern. And I think a lot of the reason why it's more modern is because of the mids. Once again, if I, when I think of Marshall and I think of Marshall tone, I think of where the mids sit. Yeah, me too. All about the mids for yep. me. You know, and you said the, they kept getting brighter there for a while. You know, in the early 70s. You and I both, we played kind of the late 70s, early 80s models of, of Marshall. And we thought, you know, man, these are, you know, really bright. And some of them can be really, really bright. Yeah. And then the earlier you go back into like the early 70s, the late 60s, the original Plexis, they weren't as bright as the later ones. Mm-mm. They just kept making them brighter. And I don't know this for sure. But I know that, you know, at that point in time, it was still a wall of sound that people had. And they weren't, yeah. they, they were filling the stadium right from the stage. They weren't miking the stuff as much. Yeah. And so you, you, got, you had to have them bright to cut. Yeah. And so, uh, and just the aggressiveness, uh, that's part of it too. The rock and roll, that, that bright, fizzy attack that a Marshall has is just what, what yeah. is great. That's what rock and roll is. And so... You know, um, yeah. that's what that's what guys wanted. Yeah. Well, and so what's interesting is that when I think of this Marshall sound, you know, you think of all the great players, you know, Eric Clapton, you know, that blues breaker sound that he had. Mm-hmm. You think of Pete Townsend, which originally used 
basements and all that kind of stuff. But then he ended up with that full stack, that speaker cabinet. And actually, it was because of Pete. Pete was like, I need double the speakers. I I, I don't need just a four. I don't need a quad cab. Yeah. I want an eight yeah. cab. <laughs> and he ended up getting this eight cab. And Marshall was like, well, why don't I just make a bottom cab and a top yeah. cab for you? And he went, no, I want eight Eight speakers I, in this cabinet. I, I heard the story that it was actually the roadies <laughs> that talked him out of it. They're like, you don't have to carry this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So evidently the story goes that he said, Pete, this is going to be too heavy. You're not going to be able to move this around. He says, I, I pay roadies to do that. <laughs> uh, about two weeks later, he comes back and says, yeah, I need you to cut it in half because my roadies are starting to quit. Huh. Yeah, because they were like, I'm not carrying this crap around anymore. So. <laughs> they didn't think about putting wheels on it. <laughs> yeah, evidently. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a, dolly? a dolly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So when I think of that, of that Marshall sound, you know, of course, the Marshall sound can be changed and everything can be changed depending on the, the EQ or the speakers you use or anything like that. But... What I think is interesting is there is a lot of times where I will play a Marshall and then I'll play a Marshall sitting right next to it from the same year, the same tubes, the same everything, and it'll sound just a little bit different. So I think it's worth it for us to talk about what Marshalls have we played and what Marshalls have we owned throughout the decades. Yeah, All my favorite bands, being a rock and roll guy. They played Marshall, you know, and, and so I was using, and, and even if they didn't actually play the Marshall and had a little Fender Deluxe sitting behind the stage, they had a wall of Marshall cabinets. So I thought they played Marshall because yeah. <laughs> Marshall was right. rock and roll. And so I always wanted to have a Marshall amp. Unfortunately, I was like the bands that I was playing in, I couldn't use a Marshall half stack. There's no way, but I really yeah. wanted one. And so, um, I had the opportunity when I played uh, with Peter Ide, a musician out of Minneapolis, and he played uh, a bigger band, and he was playing more consistently bigger stages. Yeah. You know, I'd go to these Christian festivals, and it was really a guy by the name of Tyler Burkham that uh, played for the band Audio, Audio Adrenaline. Audio Adrenaline, yeah. And he, his tone was killer. And every time I'd see him, he'd have a Marshall. Yeah. And I'm like... Dang it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get a Marshall. So I started looking around and what Tyler played, it was what was referred to as the uh, 2204. It was a 50 watt version yeah. of uh right after the super leads, which were four holes yep. uh, that were just extremely loud. They came up with a master volume amplifier that uh, so you could turn it down some. So it just had two yeah. holes, an input for high, an input for low, right. and, and a master volume so it could be a little quieter. And that's what Tyler Burkham used. And I was like, well, if it's good enough for Tyler, it's good enough for me. Yeah. So that was my introduction into the Marshall world. Uh, thank you, Tyler, Yeah. if you're listening to this. <laughs> and playing with Peter Ide, I was able to get that in a 412 Marshall cabinet and I was able to actually use this sucker uh, on stage. And I just, uh, that, that sound that had been in my head for years that I'd been chasing suddenly was right behind me. I'd Ugh. hit that big chord with the Les Paul. Yep. And you know, because we both, enjoy, it yep. just, there's nothing like it. Like I said, that krang that they, that it referred to, that you're, it just cuts. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, but my, my first one 
was actually a hundred watt that was made in 1979. Yep. That you played That's exactly on right. uh, your on one of your first uh, second album albums. Yes. Which. I just listened to the other day again, so I could enjoy hearing that amp again, because yeah. of course now I sold it. I, you know, and it, well, and it, it was amazing. And the crazy thing was, is, you know, the sound of Marshall for me growing up always was, oh, it's got to be big. It's got to be heavy. And I remember when you said you were looking to get a Marshall and I said, no, 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 no. That's like Metallica. That's, you know, that's all, that's all heavy, you know, grunge stuff or, or it's, it's Van Halen. It's just. It's too much gain for me. And you were like, no, 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 no. It's also ACDC. And I went, yes. oh, well, I like ACDC and I <laughs> like their tone. And all of a sudden, it just opened up a world to me. And so that 1979 that you had that was 100 watt, I remember being in the studio and I would just try and crank it more and more to get more gain out of it. And I actually couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't get the gain that I thought that I should be able to get out of this thing. They really don't they really don't have it unless you really crank the master too. Yeah. Which is unfortunately why I sold it. Because I thought, well, I don't need a hundred watt. I'll get a fifty watt. And then I moved into my early now I haven't still have it. It's a nineteen eighty-two. 50 watt 2204 yeah but i do miss that original marshall because it, it has the old look to it that yeah. uh your 50 watt has yeah that i uh, that i love i have a marshall 2204 that is still a jmp it's actually from 1981 and then the next year they went to the jc made hundred it was the exact same circuit yeah. exact same everything yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And just cosmetics. Man, the thing I love about that amp, and this is what I found out in the studio when I borrowed yours, was I remember having everything set up. I was I was tracking something that was that was bigger and thicker sounding. And I got done tracking it and we were getting ready to do the next song. And they said, Okay, well, what what's the next track? And I said, Oh, I gotta do something clean. And they went, Oh man, but it's already set up for the Marshall. And I went, well, let me just mess with it and see if I can get a good clean tone out of it. And that's when leaving it in the in the high channel, all I did was move the preamp down to about three, two and a half, somewhere in there. Yeah. And then I moved the master up to about eight. Yeah. And all of <laughs> a sudden, one of the most glorious <laughs> clean sounds I had ever heard yeah. came out of an amplifier. And I went, oh my gosh. Yeah. This is the sound I've been looking for the entire time. And it was from that point that I didn't use another amp. And there- I had I had the Vibralux there. Um, I had the Vibraverb there. I had the um I had a couple of Voxes and the 2203 that you had. That 2203 yep. ended up being on most of that album. Yeah. Um, except for when I needed it to be a little bit thicker, and then we had a Mesa there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and with with the preamp turned low and the master up high, it's not really that much different than the the model before it, the four hole super leads. It's it's it is mm-hmm. different, but not a lot because yeah. especially those early early models, all they did was add an extra gain stage and put a master in there, so you're able to. Well, actually, the first model they didn't even uh, add a gain stage; they just put a master in there to drive the uh, the first channel a little bit more, and it got even less gain than what that has but yeah and actually so it was because of that tone and the sound that came out of that that i ended up buying mine 
Well, after I started playing with mine, the other guitar player in the band that we had for a few months, he decided he needed a Marshall. Mm. And I went, well, you can't have one like mine because that's too (laughs) much because you play a Les Paul as well. And we got to have different tones. I don't want the guitar frequency interference. I, I, you got to have your own sound. And what he ended up getting was probably a Marshall I would gladly get. And it was the, uh, it was the JCM 800 2210, yeah. which is actually a two channel amp and it had a clean and it had a, a dirty and man, the clean channel sounded really nice it didn't quite sound like the 2204 that i had but when you clicked it on that dirty on that second channel it was absolute beauty at a decent volume for stage and i i really dug that amp that was a great amp yeah and i heard you guys a couple times with that and it was it was different enough that it totally worked but yeah that's a great amp too yeah. I actually, you just reminded me, the first Marshall I ever owned, I found in a pawn shop out in Pennsylvania <laughs> when I was on tour. And I only bought it awesome. because it was, you, I don't you probably don't even know this. I don't know if you know this or not. It was like 200 bucks. And it was a two channel. I think it was the 20, what did you say, 2010, 20, what was it? 2210 was yeah. the 100 watt, 2205 was the 50. Well, so I'm, I'm not even sure which one it was because I bought it. Yeah. Because it was like two hundred bucks at this uh, this guitar store, and I knew I could sell it for at least three hundred here in the cities, and it, there wasn't a big market for it because I was still in the I can't use this, but I knew it yeah. had value, so I hardly even played it, and I uh, actually think I sold that amp to help pay for my nailer. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure. So that's funny. Oh, memories oh, bring that back. Well, so. So you just brought up the nailer. Now, you said you couldn't necessarily use the JCM 800 that you bought, but you could use a nailer. So why did you choose the nailer if you were looking for the Marshall sound all along? Yeah, the nailer had that Marshall, kind of the modded Marshall sound, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, They were actually on the forefront. I think that first amp came out in the early 90s and they were kind of the forefront them and a uh amp company uh, like soldano as well that they were doing kind of this this because people like you like you said the early marshals didn't really have that much gain to them so to get get gain to them you had to boost them with a pedal think like zach wild of like ozzy osbourne yeah he used a jcm 800 with a tube screamer and he's got a lot of gains you can get a lot of gain out of the marshals using other tools like that but I heard with the uh, the nailer, I heard a tone that instantly grabbed me when I played it in the store. Unfortunately, it's a single channel amp that you either run distorted or you run clean. And the band that I was playing with at the time, I needed two. I really needed a clean and a distortion, and we didn't run a sound guy. So. Uh, whereas I said, Peter Ide, when I played with him, I was able to just run my volume knob to get as clean tones as I needed and then just crank it up for gain with the, the band that I was playing with at that time named Echelon without a sound guy that didn't work well. And so I wasn't able to use the nailer on the dirty channel, which is the tone I loved. Yeah. And so I used it as a clean platform. I just kicked uh, some pedals over top of it, yeah. which was which was nice. But it was a shame because I have this amp to this day, 
and I want you so much to come over to my house someday. I live out in the country. I've got my amps out yep. in an old corn crib that I've converted yes. to be my shop slash man's lair. And I can crank the Marshall all the way up. I can crank the nailer up. And that nailer kicks butt. Yeah. It is really a fun amp to play. But I was never able to use it that way. No. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was unfortunate. I instead put it on the low input, ran it clean, and hit it with a pedal. And frankly, there were better amps to do that yeah. than the nailer for me. Yeah. So I switched around to a few different combos to try to get that Marshall sound. Um, one of those was uh, uh, PV Classic 50. Yep. I ran that for a while, and I liked it. I liked it. Yep, and, and actually the PV Classic 30 also does a pretty decent job of, of getting mm -hmm. that type of sound. Now, granted, neither of them sound like a Marshall, but both of them mm -mm. are Marshall-esque. In the sense of what they do, yeah. and and I would I would stress the fact that it's where the mids sit. Both the PV Classic Fifty and the PV Classic Thirty both have a lower mid boost, as opposed to the Marshalls that you and I are talking about, which generally are that higher yeah. mid type of boost. Yeah, yeah. There's so many amps that sound great. Yeah, and yeah. The PV Classic Thirty and the Fifty they sounded great too. The reason I moved on from it is because the clean sound, although I liked it, the band, again, that I was playing with, we had to keep things pretty low. And that amp really shines if you can turn the volume up, especially in the clean tone. It was kind of kind of flat sounding. Yeah. Since I was kind of kicking a pedal over it, I then moved on to a Fender Vibrolux. And I used that for a bunch of years because that was a great pedal platform amp. It was a 71 Silverface, right? That's right. Yep. Two 10-inch speakers. That kind of changed everything for me because I was, up to that point, I was always kind of EQing an amplifier. I was looking for that Marshall sound in a box and I would kick on a pedal and I would kind of EQ everything for that. And then I turned the pedal off and whatever the clean sound was, that's what it sounded like. The Vibrolux turned that on end for me. Really, I wish I would have learned it a lot earlier. It's a much better to dial in a tone. Is I got a good bass tone from the Fender Vibrolux. It was really great. And then I started experimenting with all kinds of Marshall in a box pedals yeah. over top of the Fender Vibrolux. And I started with the Proco Rat yes. pedal. Yes. That uh, is, is still uh, one of the best. And that's from the early 80s. Yeah. You know, and it still holds its own as one of the best. Well, and I've played a number of different Proco Rats. And actually, you're the one that originally mentioned the Proco Rat to me because of an interaction you had with another guitar player. I don't know if you remember this story, but you were talking to the guitar player for Tree 63. Oh, yeah. That's a old school Christian band, right? Well, old school yeah. for us, maybe, I don't know, 90s, early 2000s. And... You were talking to the, well, actually, you know what? You tell the story. You tell the story of when you were talking to him and how he ran his Marshall on the low input. Yeah. We're out in, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, this band rocked my world when I saw them. They are amazing. We were playing at this. <laughs> they are. They are. They are. <laughs> but I had no idea. I'd never heard of them before. And we were playing, a, it was a four band lineup. This is what I was playing with Peter Ide. And we are out in Stickney, South Dakota. Yeah. They were the first band to play that day. That night was the band Delirious, which oh, were pretty yeah. big at that point. Real huge. Yeah. Uh, they were an early, early worship and praise band. They were the headliners that night. And uh, Peter played right before them. And so Tree 63 was the first band up. 
and there's nobody there. You know, people had come early and they'd put their blankets out and they'd put their chairs out to hold their space for that night, but they weren't there for Tree 63. So I, I'm standing on uh, the side over having lunch and uh, during sound check, I hear this glorious tone yeah. come off the stage. And I went, I have to check out who this band is. And I went over to the soundboard and I watched I watched uh, them play, and they were uh, they were so great. the The front guy uh, for the band, he actually said one of the funniest things I've ever heard anyone say from the stage, because he was from Bismarck, North Dakota. Okay. And he said it's like he'd been practicing this all day for this moment. And he stood down there, and he goes, "It's great here to be in Stickney, South Dakota." We're from Bismarck, North Dakota, capital of North Dakota. It's great to be down here in Stickney, capital of rock and roll. <laughs> and he did a fist pump in the air, and there wasn't anybody there except little birds flying by. <laughs> <laughs> and it just got really quiet, and you just hear, tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I digress really far. But his tone was so good. And it was so loud. He had his amplifier turned around backwards and it was facing the food tent. Yeah. Everybody hated him back there because he had it turned, everything turned all the way up to 10. Seriously, everything was dimed? Everything was dimed. Oh but he, he, he was on the low input and the low input, as you know, on the Marshall isn't nearly as loud as the high input. No. So, but he still had it dimed and he was just using a rat distortion pedal. He was using a, a turbo rat, right? He was using the turbo rat. You're right. Yeah. But, you know, so his amp, he had, like I said, he had everything turned up. Uh, the, the preamp, he probably had back a little bit. But that was when I learned that to get a really good Marshall S sound with an overdrive or the Proco rat or any of that, if the amp is cooking just a little bit, if it just got the edge of a breakup on it, um, the pedal becomes part of the amp in a way that it doesn't sound as good if you have a pristine clean amp kicking the same pedal over top of it yeah and it sounded like the best marshall tone i'd ever heard and i was like what is he playing and so i checked it out and kind of changed my world well and so what's interesting with that whole story is it's actually because of that story that when i bought a Marshall. Okay, well, first, you let me borrow the 79-2203, and I got to use it out live a couple of times locally. And when I did, at the time, I was using a Vox Valvatronics amp. It was the head, and it was the cab, and you know what? It sounded great that I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it actually, recording-wise, it sounded all right, too, but... But live, it did everything I wanted. I wanted something that was clean. I wanted something that was dirty. And I could just press a button and it would do it. And it worked really well. Well, when you're playing little gigs and you're you're kind of starting out, it's perfect for, for a little touring amp and that kind of stuff. Well, when you let me borrow that Marshall for the album, I realized I need the Marshall. And so you let me borrow it. And I remember the look on my bass player's face. So Josh was looking at me. When he said, yeah, but it sounds good dirty, but how are you going to do the clean stuff? And I tossed it on the neck pickup and I started hitting it. Yeah. And all of a sudden it cleaned up. Yep. He and I had the exact same look that went, I cannot believe that just happened. (laughs) That on the Les Paul, you (laughs) stick it on the neck pickup and it sounds exactly like what we wanted it to sound like. Yeah. And then you toss it on the bridge pickup and throw like a tube screamer on it. And now the solo sear and everything is great. 
and all of a sudden champagne falls from the heavens <laughs> and the doves are released right. and it was amazing and we both had this look going and this is it yeah this is the sound yeah i mean we were just astonished with it and so from that moment we went okay i need it but as we as we you know got over the honeymoon phase of it i started going you know i remember lloyd talking about this rat pedal idea that came from the guy from Tree 63. Yep. And that's when I found Build Your Own Clone Pedals. Yep. When I found those, I went, so for about 100 bucks, I can buy a clone of this pedal that is currently going for about 150, 160 bucks. Yeah. But I can also add some modifications to it that allow me to have more versatility. And so I ended up buying it from Keith. That's the guy who who owns the company, and I made a Mighty Mouse, which was basically their their rat pedal, and I named it the Burninator. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I put a turbo version in, and I put a vintage version in and all that, and I always left it on the turbo because I went, dang, when I run this amp at that edge of breakup and then click on this, this Burninator, click on this rat, all of a sudden... It sounded like the Marshall in my head. Yeah. And I, that's when I realized that the whole idea of a Marshall in a box really was you have to have a Marshall as the foundation in order for a Marshall in a box to truly work. Yeah. Now, with all that said, um, I will say that so far all we've talked about is more vintage styled Marshalls. And... One of the the things that I do want to mention is that both you and I have played the JCM 900. We've played the Vintage Modern. We've both played the JVM, you know, and of course now we play the JMP and the the JCM 800s and that kind of stuff. Actually, we've also played the the JCM 2000s. Yes, the DSLs. DSL and And the the TSL. Yeah, and everything. As Marshall has evolved in their sound and listening to the player, as they often do, that's, that's kind of their motto. We listen to the player. I find it interesting that in more recent years, 2005 through 2020, I started seeing more of them going back to the 70s and the 80s in their sound. You see it with the JVM. You see it with the Vintage Modern. You see it with their Origin series. Yes. They had this whole Origin series that they did. Yeah. Uh, you saw it with their Astoria, which was their boutique amp. And, you know, I think there's something to the fact that people are nostalgic. People don't like to change. Yeah. People liked it the way it sounded. And they want it again, but they want it reliable. Because those Vintage ones are starting to get a little sketchy. Yep. What's interesting is that one thing Marshall hasn't done is that there's this whole heavy metal group in there. Yeah. They want the Uber modded. You've got a market that is being uh, uh, originally by Soldado and so way, but but Friedman, Cameron, and uh, Uber's yeah. other ones that are making these super modded Marshall amps that are. They're really just Marshalls. They 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 sound. They've got the mid range we talk about with Marshall, but they've just got it with more gain, a lot tighter for the heavy. So the heavier player yep. and Marshall has never tapped into that market really, which I think is yeah. really interesting. I guess they feel like it's a, a fringe group. I guess that isn't doesn't need it. I don't know. Maybe 
or maybe they feel like they've already done it. I mean, it's possible that they look at some of those things like the TSL and the DSL, JCM 2000s, and they go, but we did that. But at the same time, they didn't because a lot of those TSLs especially, but some of the DSLs, you play them and they're a little shrilly. Yeah. They don't have that classic mid-range hump and they go oh no 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 but we put a button in there that allows you to do that Mm, but the contour button doesn't do it yeah i've thought that especially the dsl i have thought not the combo but the head i have thought i should snatch one of those up before the price goes up because they are fantastic martial heads they really are good and they're really cheap right now because you know of course for the uh, the snob players that we tend to be, you know, it's oh, it's got a lot of transistors yeah. in it. You know, it's a circuit board, printed circuit board, a PCB. We call that cork sniffery. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what we do. And I've looked for one. I've warned my wife that uh, if I find one under four hundred bucks, I'm probably gonna snatch it up. And I found them yeah. for four hundred dollars, but not cheaper than that. But I think someday yeah. they're gonna be worth a lot more than that. Because those are great. Those are great Marshall heads. Yeah, without a doubt. And they sound different. This is the key part to me is that you look at the old Plexis. Old Plexis, obviously, they're going to go through the roof. Why? Because they're part of that original vintage of, of Marshall. You see the JMPs. Once again, same type thing. And actually, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the Super Bleed that you had, which was the Marshall Super Bass. That you had that was modded yeah. to be like a super lead. Yeah. But we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Then you have the JCM eight hundred, which was like a big deal, and those have gone through the roof and they have sold really well. But JCM nine hundreds, they're on the fringe of people starting to pick those up, considering them like vintage classic Marshall. But really, I don't know that the JCM nine hundred will ever take off. But the JCM 2000 was close enough to that vintage Marshall tone, but modern flavor that I could totally see the JCM 2000, especially the DSL, taking off at least in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. No, I agree, which is why I need to buy one now. Yeah. See it coming. My crystal ball. Uh, you mentioned the Super Bleed. Yes, the Super Bleed. Now, why did we nickname that thing the Super Bleed? <laughs> you nicknamed it the Super Bleed, so it's your story. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the Super Lead is only slightly different than the Super Bass. And so the one that I had was a Super Bass, but it had been tweaked to the Super Lead specs. That amp was, was, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I had the JCM 800, and I had the Super Bleed at the same time. <laughs> and the problem was at the time I had it, I, I really, I got it really because of nostalgia. I was like, Oh, you know, I was so invested in loving Marshall and I loved my JCM 800, but the predecessor to this is the single channel super lead. It's the, like yeah. I said, it's the sound of the seventies rock and roll. Uh, and I just had that itch that needed to be scratched. Mm-hmm. And so I found one for a decent price and I picked it up. And I used it at two shows. Yeah. Both of them with Peter. Because I couldn't use it anywhere else. That was the problem. No. This, this thing. Even with I, a hot plate or what that's it, right. you have the ultimate attenuator. I had the ultimate know. attenuator. I didn't have the hot plate with it. I probably kind of wish I had. 
But the ultimate, even with the ultimate, you couldn't tame that sucker. It was, I'm not kidding. The way the taper was on the volume knob, it went from once you, it went from off to once you heard it, it was extremely loud. And that was at about one. And then it went from there (laughs) to just uh, grittier versions of extremely loud. Right. And that's the reason why we called it the super bleed. It was because it was it was the super bass with the super lead. But if you actually turned it to where you loved it, your ears would just start to bleed. Yeah, you totally would. (laughs) And Those poor kids sitting right in front of it. (laughs) I'd pass out napkins and they're like, are we supposed to shove these in our ears so that we uh, don't hurt our hearing? I'm like, no, no, no. It's to wipe off the blood later. That's what it's for. So just (laughs) pass them out to your friends. I apologize in advance. (laughs) It's going to be awful. You might want to stand a little off axis. So you don't get the straight beam. <laughs> they act as my, they actually acted as my beam blocker for everybody who's standing behind them. That's right. Yeah. Well, it took five rows. Oh my so gosh. That's... I used the, the last show that I used it. I told the sound guy that I was uh, thinking about selling it. I had it pointed off the side of the stage, and I was yeah. at that point in time. I was even even when I was using it. I was using it the way I was the JCM 800, just like you described earlier, where I had the preamp turned to like three or four. So it was just, just when you really dig in, you'd get some grit and dirtiness out of the yeah. JCM 800 and kick the burninator or the tube screamer or the rat over top of that became glorious. That's, so I was yeah. planning on using the super lead slash bleed the same way that I used the JCM 800 at that show. But it was, I showed up to it and it was a very large show. And I went, you know what? I'm thinking about selling this thing. I am going to use this thing the way God intended it to be used. <laughs> so I put it off the side of the stage. And even with the hot plate or the, the ultimate attenuator turned down probably eight decibels knocking off of it. Yeah. I had it and I just turned it up to noon. It was really like ACDC level distortion. Yeah. And oh, that was so fun. So the only time in my life I got to experience that, you know, and, and then I would, uh, then I used a tube screamer and a, and a, and a boost pedal just to kick it up for a little bit more for solos if I need a little bit more gain. But most of the song, I just rode my volume knob for cleaner stuff and just cranked it up. It's kind of the same thing. Everybody on stage would just look at me with this big grin because nobody in our world had really been able to experience that because you can't use these things unless you're ACDC. But I was using it there. And the sound guy came up to me after the show and said, do not sell that amplifier. That was such a joy mixing that tone today. And, well, I sold it anyway because I couldn't use it. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Let's hear from another sponsor. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together, deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists 
engaging seminars, and much more. This year in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join a party with a purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on July 8th through 11th or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. Generally speaking, you and I don't play the large crowds really. You know, of course, we both had our time where we've played for 5,000 or 30,000 or whatever. And so that's happened and it's been great, but that's not our norm. Our norm is usually like the 50 to 500. Yeah. And so when you play that type of a of an area, usually the space is not large enough to handle the Marshall, you know, yeah. the Marshall 412 and all that. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. Now, this probably brings up an interesting thought, which is. When you and I were going on this quest, because this is actually the beauty of this conversation right now, is our relationship started off very different than where it is now. You know, because you were actually, you were my youth director, and you found me very um, energetic, okay? <laughs> and, um, and going, gosh, somebody should either tame it or harness it for good and not evil. That is a quote and, from me, I believe. Yes. Tame or harness. <laughs> which is interesting because, you know, six years later, our relationship took a turn because what we realized was that you and I are kindred spirits. We are people who have the same values and pursuit and taste for tone. We love that Marshall type sound and we really love that rock and roll type sound. We like Les Pauls. I mean, this is our bond that we have. Now, the people also need to understand that then we just had like MXR and DOD and Boss and Ibanez, Radial and BYOC. We didn't have JHS. We didn't have Wampler or Barber or. Or, or even visual sound. This was all new products. So we didn't have these marshals in a box. You know, uh, doctor, you also, as you got me on the, on the couch and you're pulling back memories that I have suppressed, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I realized a whole world that I totally forgot about was the rack mount gear that I went down for a while. Yes. Because the 80s really messed me up. <laughs> they really did. Yeah, they did. I, I'm a. I was. I was a senior in high school in '87, and you know, that's right after that was really when the hair band got really ugly. Well, '84 was Van Halen. Yeah, you know, right? Like up up until you know, like '84. Now, now that I know a little bit more, going back in history, up to that point, the early band, you know, ZZ Top and Van Halen and Def Leppard and bands like that, they were still using Marshalls, things like that, but. Later on, right around 86, 87 and later, people started to switch over to rack mount gear. And so, you know, they had a, there was a guy yeah. in, in uh, th- I believe he lived in Nashville, maybe California, who built like Bradshaw custom systems. And you'd see. Yeah. So when I was just paying attention to what people were playing, uh, I'd go to these Christian festivals or whatever. And they, were, they weren't rolling out a Marshall stack anymore. 
In the late no. 80s, they were rolling out this no. big rack of road gear that just had all these lights that blinked on it yeah. and tons of knobs. And I'm like, that's what I need to get the sound that I've been hearing. And so it got really processed there for a, a small little window, really, when we look back at it. Yeah. But unfortunately, it messed me up because I thought, well, that's what I needed to be. So even before the Nailer, the PV Classic 50, and the Vibrolux and pedals, before that, I was trying to run like just like a Mesa Boogie power amp with some effects units. And at first I had one, it was a Yamaha effects processor. It was like the JT500, something like that. And then I had the JS, uh, JSP21 Legend that supposedly had <laughs> all these sounds designed by professional players. And so I was like, this is what I got to use to sound professional. And it really messed me up. It was actually your brother, Paul. Uh, yeah. I had all this junk. Bingo. Yeah. I had all this junk. <laughs> and I uh, saw him because he was a Stevie Ray Vaughan guy from the beginning. He never got corrupted by the 80s rock scene. And I played a concert with him. And he just had a Strat, a Tube Screamer, and a Fender uh, Vibroverb. Yep. His tone was just so natural and raw and organic and great. Yep. And mine, in contrast, sounded processed and sterile. And that was it. Mm -hmm. That's when I threw it out. Real compressed. Yeah. 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 And that's when I threw it out. And, I, and then I started the search that we already talked about of different amplifiers. Yeah. I, that 80s really did mess me up. And it was such a small window, too, because like the early 80s, the guitar tones were really great. And, you know. This is a safe space. <laughs> Nobody's blaming you. We're okay. <laughs> You know, you and I have the same amplifier, okay? Mine's a 2204, yours is a 2204. Mine's from 1981, yours is from 1982. And really, there is no difference, but cosmetically, it looks different. And then also, yours seems to have more gain. You and I have compared your Marshall and my Marshall at one time together in the same yeah. room. And, and yeah. I don't remember through the same cabinet through the same guitars, I don't remember there being a night and day difference between them, except mine had a little bit more gain. That's what I remember. Yeah. And yet, the one time I flew down to Texas for, uh, for an event, and I borrowed your Marshall and your yeah. half stack and your guitar, and I felt like it was a totally different animal than mine. And yeah. I don't know why. Because I know we've compared them, and they're very, they really, I mean, they're only a year apart. They should be basically the same. But I don't know. Yeah, you know, the way I like to run my Marshall is I like to have the master volume at four or five. Now, most venues can't handle that, so I usually keep it at about three. But really, the key is that preamp. When I run my preamp, three is kind of its honey spot. It sounds like that has that edge of breakup. I get it to four, and now all of a sudden, I'm starting to get that bigger saturation of breakup. And then when I get it to yeah. five and beyond, I start to get that distortion, yeah. that quintessential martial sound, at least in That's my right. ears. Yeah, I wish mine would be a little cleaner on the high input, but it is what it is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, we, you and I did this. This is actually one thing that I think is a public service announcement. So PSA, people, <laughs> it's, it's the preamp tube on the V1. That made all the difference. Yes. 
Because I don't know if you remember, we went through probably a half dozen preamp tubes. Yeah. Trying to figure out which one is right. And I remember it's like, okay, put it in standby. Let it cool down. Okay, there's no fizz. Everything's good. Okay, pull it out. Put in another one really quick. All right, wait a second. Pop it on. Okay, what does it sound like? And it's actually because of that, we ended up with the 12AX7C in the preamp spot. Still do. Because we went, that is easily the best mid-range breakup we've ever got. Yeah, still do. Now, we should have spent more time... Uh, messing with speakers because it makes a much bigger difference than the preamp tube ever does. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, the- well, hold on. Now, that's probably <laughs> going to be another uh. podcast all in itself. So we will have to come back together and we will talk speakers and our journey through speakers because I know we've gone through a number of them and we have our favorites and we have our dislikes. And, and I think that'll be good. Now, this probably brings us to our closing statements, which really is what is the pros and cons? What are the benefits and the drawbacks of owning a Marshall? And I'll go ahead and go first. I love that it is an excellent pedal platform. I I love that it is such a good foundation that pedals can, can be used or a guitar can be used. And it's almost a marriage of the character of the guitar and the pedals, but it's that character of the Marshall that also sings through. And it's like everything still has its dynamic and it still has its identity. And I love that my Marshall does that. Now, my Marshall also has a master volume and I love that too because there was one time I actually took it into a coffee shop, small coffee shop. And what do I have? A 412 cab with my Marshall 2204 sitting on top. And they looked at me like I was insane. And I was able to dial that thing into a tone I was happy with, and it sounded excellent. But at the same time, it, I, you know, if it was too loud, nobody complained to me. But I know that I don't want to haul around that amp everywhere. And that probably brings me to my drawback. And that is weight. The, the sheer weight of the amplifier mm-hmm. is so much. I, I don't want to haul 75 pounds around with me <laughs> between the the cabinet and the head everywhere I go. All right. And another is it is so loud. Okay. Now I have the master volume and that's great, but man, it is so loud if I want to get it to that like perfect glorious area. So th- those are probably mine. How about you? I mentioned earlier how similar you and I are on the tone that yeah. we're going for. And I don't really have anything to add to what you just said. I could repeat everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, outside of them just looking sexy on stage, which cannot, which is oh, not a yeah. small thing. That's, you shouldn't belittle that. They do look awesome. No. It goes back to the days of the big Wallace. Yes, up. it's a mojo for the player as much as it is it the totally like, is. audience it's like, person. Oh. Yeah, that, that's a Marshall yeah. back there. That's right. Yes. But um, yeah, no, no. Uh, so I love the pedal platform. You're right, because I've always wanted that Marshall sound. And, and that, yeah, you can turn them down, kick a pedal over them, and it still sounds like a Marshall. It, you don't, can't do that with a Fender. A Fender has, that, has more of a scoop no. mid to it, unless maybe you go back to the earlier tweed yeah. Fenders a little bit. But most of them, they just they they'll sound great on their own with a pedal in front of them. But it's a different sound. So yeah, that's uh, that's probably number one. Unfortunately, the modern world of uh, 
that we live in right now, nobody wants to really hear the guitar. Uh, it, and if they do, they want to huh. hear it from the PA system, not from the stage. And so that's the biggest drawback yeah. is unless you really play big things, which I don't really anymore, I don't have a lot of use for it. Um, nope. Except for my personal enjoyment, which is, uh, is well worth it too. Yeah, and actually with the pandemic the way it is right now and everything, you know, the the ability to go out and use it the way it should be used is really not going to end up happening. But, you know, someday it'll return and maybe we'll get a chance to be able to play those tone monsters out again someday. But I do want to comment to one thing you said about how people don't want to hear the guitar or that they want to hear it through a PA system. And I will say this to anybody who owns like an HX Stomp or a Strymon Iridium, or a a Helix, or a Kemper, or a Headrush, or something that is like a modeling version of a Marshall. Well, a modeling version of many amps, but a Marshall for sure. I will argue that you don't actually know what a Marshall sounds like. Because as a guy who owns all of those things, and owns the real deal, there's nothing quite like that amp in the room, especially... The Marshall. You know, that was a surprising thing for me. And uh, an engineer by the name of Scott Malchow that you and I both know, he was doing uh, amp farm stuff in the studio for most of the, mo- yeah. most of the time. And so he had a Marshall Super Lead and a JCM 800 digitally, you know, uh, whatever the amp farm did to, uh, to model the sound that, of those. And we used those a bunch. And I always thought that sounded great. But when I got that 79 Marshall with the basket weave greenback 412 cabinet, yep. we were doing a recording and I brought that in the studio and we cranked it up and had the same experience you had recording your album. And he, I remember him saying, here's a guy who's, you know, been around for years who has used, you know, the modeling of that. And he, and he goes, wow, I'm, I was really surprised to hear how different it sounded than the amp farm versions of it. You know, and he liked the amp farm versions, but it really surprised him that it didn't sound like. So all these years, what he thought a JCM 800 sounded like. Yeah. Didn't sound like what an 800 sounded like until he heard the real thing. It was like, nope. Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. And, you know, most people, the way they believe that an 800 or really any Marshall is supposed to sound is dirty. And that's not the way I run it. I run it at the edge of breakup and then I add dirt pedals to it and everything. So when somebody says, oh, I've got this Marshall tone in my my modeling gear, I usually am like, but yeah, try and run it clean. And it doesn't sound right to me. It just, it just doesn't sound right. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. The original Marshalls were actually advertised for their clean headroom. They weren't oh, yeah. meant to be distorted. Oh. They, the original, I saw a catalog, an early catalog from the 60s once, and that was what it said on there. They're like, uh, because, you know, the Vox was 30 watts. Yep. The Fender amps were, uh, you know, were 50. 30, 40 watts. Yeah, 50 at the highest. And so Marshall advertised their amplifiers on this on this catalog as 50 watts of of clean headroom. You know, <laughs> and the whole idea was you think about the music of the 50s and early 60s, there wasn't a lot of gain. Yeah. And so Marshall wasn't trying to develop an amp that made tons of distortion, which what you just said, people think of them as. Yeah. It was meant to be an amplifier that was just really loud, clean. Or, or you know, but people realized, well, if you keep turning them up, they get this glorious overdriven tone. And that's what uh, yeah. we think of as Marshall today. 
All right. Well, with all that said, do you have any closing statements, anything you would like to say to the listener or anybody out there? If you are a rock and roll person, you should do yourself a favor and own a Marshall. Play a Marshall at some point because we've all heard it in our heads from uh, our favorite tunes. You know, life is too short. Just uh, go out, pick one up, get a DSL before they get really expensive and it'll get you most of the way there. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you liked what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the Tweed Couch. Until next time. <laughs>